This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Why do you love it? I know why I love college football. Why do you love this sport? And after you think about that, ask yourself, is that thing that brought you to this sport, is it still around in as plentiful a supply as it was when you first came to the table? Maybe you're 40, maybe you're 15. Whatever brought you here, is it still there? This is another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. We're wall-to-wall mailbag. We do this thing every Tuesday at Late Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram. That's where you can submit the questions. We got over 700 of them and two promises. One, I'm not going to get to all 700. Two, we're going to get to as many as possible. And I'm asking you a question this morning to lead things off because that's one of the questions that you asked me. We're going to get to that one in a second. But let's go ahead and kick it off here. Chris hit us up and said, this is not about you at all, just general media. Why don't more people in the media who state very loudly how much they hate realignment not hold people in power more responsible for it? When they have these commissioners on pods or radio shows, why are they not holding their feet to the fire? It's a good question because, see, Chris and I, if we had our perfect world, we'd probably have a very, very similar vision of what we would want college football to be. A lot of it's in the rearview mirror. You can call that clinging to history, fruitless in nature. You can call it whatever you want to. There are just some things that were about the game in the past that I prefer. There are a lot of things today that I prefer over the way they were. So it's not wholesale, one side of the fence versus the other side of the fence. But Chris is asking a good question. I think a lot of you asked this question. So I think he's speaking for a lot of you. When you have a Greg Sankey on, or back when Kevin Warren was the Big Ten commissioner, why don't you just shout in their face, Hey, how dare you? What gives you the right to do this to this sport? What gives you the right to go about realignment and putting the almighty dollar first and poaching these other conferences and tearing away at the fabric of the regionality that we love about college football? I'll tell you my personal vantage point on it as as someone who has spoken to these guys, some of them on the record in the past. What stops me is um, twofold. One, you'd never get them back. But that's not the real reason. That's a thing that exists. Like, I'm pretty sure if we had Sankey in the studio right now and I were to just wag my finger in his face and shout at him, I hate what you're allowing to happen to the SEC and therefore the rest of college football, I doubt we'd get him again. Now, if I'm right, if I'm being honest, that shouldn't stop me. So here's the other reason. There, to me, has to be an understanding of the position those guys are in. Now, Chris and I have had it out about this on Twitter before, so I know he's not going to agree with this, but whatever, we all have opinions. 
it is my view on this that some of these guys may not necessarily love the moves they're making. That sounds kind of counterintuitive, right? Like you think, well, if, if Greg Sankey is doing this, or if Jim Phillips, well, the ACC is not doing much of anything, but if Bob Bowlesby, before he was out in the Big 12, if he's doing something, if Kevin Warren, before he was out in the Big 10, you think if these conference commissioners are doing something, it means they like it. And I think it's the opposite in some cases. And I do have a little bit of guided information on this front. It is my belief that some of these guys looked around and understood reality and understood there's some things that we may not want to do that we're going to have to do. You know, if you live on the Gulf Coast and you see that there is a Cat 5 hurricane out there brewing, no one wants to leave their home. But as you pass me on the interstate and I ask you, what are you doing leaving your home? Why would you want to leave your home? You tell me, I had to do it before something happened to us. And I think a lot of these folks look around, if you're Greg Sankey, for example, and understand the way that you want the sport to look, the way that you want the SEC to look may be irrelevant in comparison to where the direction of the sport is headed in general. So now think about who you're accountable to. If you're the commissioner of the Big Ten, if you're commissioner of the SEC, you're accountable to your member institutions. You have to answer to ADs and presidents and the like. And if they find out that you had the opportunity on the table to go and add Texas and Oklahoma, and you didn't because your personal preference was to keep the SEC where it was, and then the Big Ten comes in and adds OU and Texas, guess what happens to you? You're out of a job because they would view that as a dereliction of duty on your part. It would be one thing if you were guaranteed, if I don't take OU in Texas, there's a guarantee no one's going to take him. That would be one thing. But you and I both know that's not the case. You and I both know this is the real world. And you understand if I don't take this prime rib now, the next guy that comes through the door is going to take it. And I think a lot of them are making those moves out of an understanding of that. There's, there's an ideal world. There's the utopian world. That's the one we want to live in, by the way. And then there's the real world. Now, I'm also not ignorant enough to think that these guys' intentions are just pure as the driven snow and they don't factor in money. Of course, they factor in money. I know that. And look, maybe, maybe I'm inflating them too much. Maybe I'm erring on the side of idealism a little bit too much. Maybe it is just profit at all costs, maximization of P&L at all costs. Maybe it is that. I don't think so, but maybe it is. But in any event, when I talk to them, I'm talking to them with a baseline understanding along the lines of what I just described to you. In other words, I don't think it does me any good. I think it's a waste of time for me to grill Greg Sankey on why it would have been better for college football had they left Texas and OU alone. Because I already know what his response is. Therefore, I know what my response would be if I were him. And I think a lot of us, if you were armed and equipped with the information he has and you were tasked with the job that he has, I think most of us would have made the same move. I don't have to like it because I don't have his job. So I don't have to like it. As an outside neutral observer, I guess I just have to accept it. What is this thing we do here? What is this late kick extra? We are adding scores to our numbers every week. So in 10 seconds, here's what this is. It's not late kick live. It's not the show we do on YouTube Sundays and Thursday nights. And we add a Tuesday show during the regular season. No, this is mailbag. This is strictly podcast. Only way to listen to this thing all the way through is exactly how you're doing it right now. So tell a friend, tell a family member or two. We appreciate it so much. Subscribe while you're here. 
Josh, love the name, by the way. Josh hit us up from San Angelo, Texas. He said, will the new era of college football, like NIL and realignment and expanded playoff, will that attract more fans to the sport? This is the question that I really want us to ponder on a little while. Whether you're listening morning, afternoon, evening, or night, I want you to think about this for a second. I know what I love about college football. You know what you love about college football. What is it? For me, it's, it's regular season games in the fall. It's going to campuses, camp I, plural, put an I on the end of it, it's plural. It is the leaves changing, it's the weather changing, it is the coming together of people uh, from all walks of life. Some of them are alumni, some of them aren't, and you're in East Lansing or you're in Knoxville, and it's just a magical feeling. Now, you know, my personal viewpoint on the sport is that is paramount and anything after that is just secondary in nature. Even like conference championship games and playoffs, I love all that, but it's not the crux of what I love about the sport. Because the way I see it is every sport out there has a playoff. Not every sport has what college football has in the regular season. In fact, no other sport does. So that's what I love about it. You define what you love about it, but whatever your definition is, put it in the blank and then ask yourself this. Do you think we'll have more of that thing in the future or less of that thing in the future? And I think a lot of you are shaking your head right now. A lot of you are a little bit sad, got a long face on your, on your um, complexion right now. I, I think I have that with you. I think I look ahead and I look at the direction that the sport is going and I ask myself, the stuff that brought me to the table won't be in as plentiful a supply down the road. Now, certainly, we will have Saturdays in the fall. We will have that. I don't think the value and the importance and the magnitude that they had in a bygone era will exist in the future. I don't think that. I also think if you fell in love with the more romantic amateurism aspect of the sport, you know, you play for the love of the school, you, you choose where you go. They don't draft you. You choose to be an Arizona State Sun Devil, and you go there and you play for pride and love of the game. Yeah, again, second time I've used this word. That's a little idealistic. It's a little unicorn and rainbowish, but that's fine. I've never had a problem with that. That's, when I was a kid, that's how they taught me about college football, and I assume a lot of you have been taught the same way. Well, when you throw NIL, when you throw a lot of what I think we're headed towards in terms of revenue share and whatnot, when you throw that in the mix, you're not falling in love with that anymore. It doesn't mean you can't fall in love with football. It doesn't mean you can't fall in love with college football. I just don't think in the future some kid is going to come along in 2033 and say, you know what? I'm 17 years old. I have decided I love college football because those kids don't play for the money. Those kids just play for the love of the game. No one's saying that anymore. It's just, it's not the way it is anymore. So I guess the answer is, I don't think that the new landscape of college football is trending towards adding huge numbers, multiplying the mass that we already have here. I don't think that. Now, that goes back to a question we asked last week. Does that mean the game is healthy? And you got one of two ways you can look at that. You can either say no, based on what I think we just agreed on, most of us anyway. Um, or you can say the sport, the conferences, the powers that be are making a lot of money. Therefore, it's healthy. Doesn't matter if we're adding numbers. It's just, it's healthy. 
And I disagree with that. Obviously, I disagree with that sentiment. I think baseball dealt with this. You know, baseball's been in a crisis lately of trying to speed up their game. Because why? Because attention spans are shorter. Because why? Because they're trying to attract a younger audience. Because why? Because younger people abandoned watching Major League Baseball. So for a while, had big media rights deals, and people were dumb enough to look around the boardroom and say, we're making all this money. It doesn't really matter if we're adding new people. It doesn't matter if we're bringing in younger viewers. I mean, it matters. They weren't dumb enough to say it doesn't matter at all, but, but I think they were dumb enough to say, well, we're making money. That's the most important number. It is, it is in the short term, but over the long term, if it's an investment over the long term, you've got to replenish the coffers. You know, I don't know if you guys realize this, but people die. People die every day. Some of them are college football fans. Some of them are Major League Baseball fans. And if you want to maintain the health of your sport, number one, you have to be very calloused and be able to talk like I am right now. And number two, you got to replenish. You got one that exits, you got to have one that comes in. Hopefully you would have one and a quarter that come in for every one that exits. And that's called growth. And I don't think college football is necessarily positioned to do that. Now, obviously and selfishly, I hope I'm wrong about that. And maybe I am. Maybe there is a new facet that brings bigger numbers to the table. Who knows? Maybe I'm in the minority and a ton of people will just love an expanded playoff. Like that will be the impetus for bringing a ton of folks to the table. I hope that that's the case. For, for my survival, I hope that's the case. But I don't know that we've best positioned the sport to grow. And I don't say we. I shouldn't say we because a lot of things that are happening right now are kind of out of our control, aren't they? Yeah, we're, kind of, we're in this together in that vein. Next question on this lovely Tuesday morning as we record here. It's been a very, very high-pressure situation in the office already today, by the way. I'll tell you more about that later. Zach hit us up. He said, since you've been doing the Change One Thing segment, if you could go back in your career or the creation of the show, what is one thing you would have done differently and why? From Aurora, Colorado. I don't have a lot of regrets, you know, I do have one thing that's just glaring. And I've talked to you guys about this before. I've talked to some of you one-on-one -on -one about this before. I do consultation sessions sometimes. Um, we're not doing them right now for, before anyone asks, but I do those sometimes. And a lot of you will ask a question like this, and I'll say, I wasted a lot of my early 20s just doing nothing. I'm not saying you have to have life figured out in your early 20s, but I did nothing. I was in college for a little while, and I was wasting time, so I dropped out of college. I eventually went back, but I dropped out of college, and I, I worked jobs I had no passion for, and I, at some points, wasn't even employed. And I just remember, like, I have such a vivid memory of this. There would be nights, several nights. Jesse, Colin, I've never told you this before. There would be several nights where I would just, like, meet up with a couple of buddies at Crystal off of Manchester Expressway, in Columbus, Georgia. We'd just be there till like two o'clock in the morning, not even getting in trouble, nothing like that. We're just there. Why? Because we don't have to be up until noon the next day. And it's just wasting away some really valuable inventory in your life, your early to mid 20s. You're just wasting that away. So here's the flip side to that. I ended up being able to make the best out of it, not by myself. I had a lot of folks that helped me and you're never going to make it if you don't have folks help you. So really blessed to be in the position I'm in now. But I think, 
I always think to myself, not out of regret, but out of curiosity, what would have happened or maybe what would have happened quicker if I would have gotten my act together earlier? Here's the flip side to that coin, though. If I would have gotten my act together earlier, maybe I don't come across the people who I formed relationships with a little bit later in my 20s. Maybe I dive into an industry before the digital media revolution sort of happens and what I'm tailor-made for, which is I think what I do now, ends up not being what I did. So there's no way. It's like, it's like throwing a bunch of spaghetti against a wall trying to figure out how the world works, the butterfly effect of the world and how it works. But in a general sense, I would say being able to get like that three or four or five year chunk of my late teen, early 20s portion of my life back to just, just invest time instead of spend time. There are only two things you can do with time. You can spend it, and that's what I was doing. You just don't get that back. Or you can invest it. And I did not know that when I was in my early 20s. But as for the show itself, uh, I mean, we're where we are now for a reason. And it worked out. And again, I'm really happy that we're where we are now. But, oh, God. Oh, oh, here's the other thing about Crystal I was going to tell you. Not that they're sponsoring the show. I charted how much fast food I ate in one year. I still remember the number vividly. I knew that I was eating terribly. Luckily, I have fast metabolism or I would have been on an episode of my 600-pound life. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like we count anytime I go to a fast food restaurant. I ate fast food 490 times in one year. Yes, pause for reaction. 490 so then I lowered it to like 19. I almost like cold turkeyed fast food. But it was touch and go there for a little while. Bless my congested heart. It was a tough, tough time there for a little while. Uh, so yeah, there you go. That's, that's nutrition advice and life advice. Brandon hits us up and says, the top expansion target for the SEC is North Carolina, of course. But what is the argument against Arizona and Washington being two and three on the list? Since the Big Ten expanded west, the SEC needs a coast-to-coast footprint. Phoenix and Seattle are huge TV markets, and Brandon is from Nashville, Tennessee. They don't need to, is what stops them. Who says they need to do something just because the Big Ten did something? Who says the SEC needs to expand at all? And if they do, who says they need to expand further west than Columbia, Missouri, or Norman, Oklahoma, or Austin, Texas? I think they're already far enough west. This TV market stuff, is so overblown when it comes to college expansion. It's so overblown. Brandon, I want you to think about this. You're not a media consultant. You don't work in this industry. That's not a knock on you. Stay out of it. Do exactly what you do is my advice. But I'm saying you're not a media consultant to follow up with this. What makes you talk about TV markets? What makes any fan who's just a fan talk about media markets? It doesn't impact you at all. Never impacts you. You watching a college football game on Saturday and understanding which metered markets it's thriving in and what kind of share you're getting in the Birmingham or Phoenix TV market, it doesn't matter. You just heard some folks talking about it. And all of a sudden, let's just be real with each other for a second, because I do this too. You want to sound smarter than everyone else in the room, so you just start talking about TV markets. Pro wrestling fans drive me up the wall doing this. Everyone wants to be smart to the business. No one wants to just sit back anymore and enjoy the show. Everyone's got to go to a website or a message board. Everyone's got to be on the inside. They got to be a smart mark. And I hate it. It's part of the, what drove me away from watching pro wrestling. So 
in college football. The SEC doesn't need to expand further west. They don't need Seattle. They don't need Phoenix. What they need to do is focus on the thing that's the most precious commodity, and that's not media markets, especially once you're established. The most precious commodity for the SEC would not be adding media markets. It's crystallizing rivalries. Rivalries are the most precious commodity in college football television inventory. And that's my opinion, but I'm not the only one who feels that way. Bert Mangus is the head of, uh, I think, content for ESPN. I heard him talking about this recently. He said actually kind of the same thing I'm saying. He said, all these folks talking about TV market, TV market, TV, go get rivalries. That's why a lot of people were upset when OU left for the SEC and you find out Bedlam's not going to happen anymore. Or for a long time, we had A&M in the SEC and they're not playing Texas anymore. That's what's valuable. No one cares. No one, at least amongst us, no one cares whether or not you're in the Dallas TV market. Go get rivalries. If you want to make a move, go get Florida State. Now, I know it's a lot harder than that. I'm saying if you could do what you wanted to do, I'd much rather have Florida State. You know why? Because I get Florida State FSU in my conference. I get FSU Georgia. Those are, those are border teams. I could create new rivalries. It doesn't matter that the Jacksonville or Tallahassee media markets aren't as attractive. The product is attractive. That's what the product is attractive. In, in other words, think about this. If you live in Denver, so you're not in the Phoenix market. If you live in Sacramento, if you live in Rockford, Illinois, second Rockford shout out in as many weeks. If you live in Rockford, Illinois, and you're, you're just agnostic to all this conversation, you just want to see good content, what's more likely to make you tune in? Arizona State versus Florida, Arizona State versus Georgia, or Florida State versus Florida, Florida State versus Georgia? The answer is obvious. So yeah, you could be penny wise and pound foolish, and you could go grab Seattle and grab Phoenix, or you could make an effort to get the Clemsons or Virginia Techs or Florida States or Miamis of the world and keep a little bit, just a modicum of your regionality, but maximize the rivalries. That's what you want to have. So not to be mean, probably sounded mean. Proud, Emily Proud told me I was being a little mean earlier today because I said somebody's, uh, somebody's ping pong game wasn't up to snuff in the office. And here's the problem. They proceeded to lose the next match 21 to 1. So was I right or was I mean or was I both? I think we need it sometimes. Jake, next up, as commissioner, Jake asks, what's your first action to purify college football from Smith Station, Alabama, home of the Panthers? I got one for you, Jake. It has nothing to do with the playoff, so you can all breathe easy. We're playing on grass. If I'm college football commissioner, day one, executive order, I'm signing it, I'm stamping it, I'm having my assistant Bradley take it out to the masses. Get rid of turf. You got trillions and quadrillions of dollars being pumped into the sport. Go get real grass. You do whatever it takes. If you need a stipend, if you need to be subsidized from my office for the greater good of the sport, I will be willing to help you out. I'm tired of turf. I'm tired of watching injuries happen on it. I'm tired of the unnatural feel of it. At least it's not AstroTurf. At least it has a little spring in it. But we have data that 150% backs up what I'm saying. You are more likely to shred your knee on turf than you are on grass. So the health risk doesn't add up. 
The visual of grass is a lot better. And I guess some people come back to me and say, well, Josh, it's so hard to maintain. What? It's not your backyard. It's not Meemaw with a garden hose. These people, these universities have grounds crews. Grounds crews. They get to do something. They get to buy product you don't get to buy. So not all of you have Kentucky rye in your backyard. They can have it. And I don't really know much about grass. So anyone in the world of horticulture is going to rip me to pieces on this. But you get the spirit of what I'm saying. When I tackle you, when you slide for a first down, when I put you on your back, you ought to have a stain on you when you get up. And I'm watching these folks play on these turf fields. And the ones who make it through especially in the early season when it's 125 degrees on field level, the ones who don't get, get spent from dehydration and don't suffer from heat exhaustion or a torn ACL, they look clean as can be. I have no clue they even played. Grass. Grass. That's how you make college football more pristine. Play it on grass. The end. Day one when I'm college football commissioner. Next up. Short and sweet there. I know that maybe we wanted to stretch that a little bit immunity, but we went short and sweet on that one. David Ernst from Instagram. Yes, yes, we are featuring several Instagram questions on the show today too. David asked, how come you don't listen to music while you work out? Some of you think I'm weird because I don't listen to music, but I don't. There's purpose behind it. Put a lot of thought into it, actually. It's not because I'm poverty. I could afford earbuds if I really wanted them. That What do they cost, like $300? I don't need $300. I already have $300. So I could afford them if I really needed them. I don't listen to music. I, there's a philosophical reason I don't. And it's because I don't think you need external factors to focus you, ever. I don't think you need it. I think you lean on it as a crutch. And so what I choose to do in the gym is, of course, a physical workout. But I also think it's a mental workout. You're basically doing two birds with one stone because you're forcing yourself to focus. How often do you do that during the day? Think about how often you use an external crutch to bring something out of you that's already in you. I don't need music to motivate me. By the very definition of what you're relying on that music to do, you're relying on that music, in some cases, to focus you, which your mind can't possibly do if it wasn't already capable of doing it without the music. And the other thing is, you want it to pull energy out of you, which also your body can't produce if it wasn't already in there. The music's not bringing anything out of you or putting anything in you that wasn't already there. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, it is a full body workout, mind and body, to force yourself to do that. Those are two reasons. I mean, you may laugh at that, but I'm dead serious about that. You find, because I found this, it pays dividends out of the gym. You all of a sudden, if you make a habit out of that, you realize, wow, I've got like 20% more focus and ability to focus and tunnel vision and get yourself in that elite like 95th percentile of razor sharp tunnel vision focus you need to thrive in an environment. All of a sudden, it's easier to get yourself there. If you're wondering why you have trouble focusing, well, ask yourself, am I relying on crutches to focus me in other walks of life? And if you are, you may want to try this. And if you get in the gym and you're 30 minutes in, you're saying, oh man, I need music. I need those headphones. I need those earbuds. Do you need them? Do you really need them? Or is there something magic in those earphones? Is there something magic in that headset? Of course there isn't. Even if you're listening to Fleetwood Mac, of course, it's not magic. Well, it's magic, 
but it's not magic in the sense that it can bring something out of you that's not already in there. So that's why I don't listen to music. Also, there's a nice little bonus. You hear some really, really good conversation. Some of the best conversation I've heard lately has been at the gym. I mean, there's a, there's a girl over there right now. She does not need to be with the guy she's with. Treats her terribly, uh, really under-delivered on Valentine's. And, and if you're not coming through on Valentine's, which is the fakest day of the year, he's not going to come through for you. And the thing about it is, I want to say something, but whomst am I? Whomst am I to say something? It's not my place. But I'm well aware. I'm, I'm read in on her situation in life because I don't wear earphones. I don't wear earbuds. Next up, how many field stormings have I seen at games? Good question. It turns out I couldn't even remember all of them. So too many to count, but I do remember several of them. One of the ones that's most memorable, I don't know that the world would just readily have come to the top of their mind, is Baylor, Oklahoma, two years ago, 2021 season. That was in Waco. It's my first trip ever there. Oklahoma's in town. Lincoln Riley, still the head coach at Oklahoma. And uh, they upset Oklahoma, did the Baylor Bears, a week after they had lost to TCU, by the way. And so it's the biggest win of Dave Aranda's career, and we're there. I'm actually, I mean, I've got iJosh footage of all this, by the way. I frequently relive it. A lot of you go to family reunions after the football season's over. I just watch iJosh footage of games I've been at. So we were out there. It was a noon kickoff. You know my affinity for big noon kickoff, even though it's not the company I work for. So it's still like bright skies. It's 3 or 3.15 in the afternoon. Game's already over. Sun, as far as the eye can see, not a cloud in the sky. Well, maybe a few high cirrus clouds. But it was a beautiful day. And so that was a fun time. And afterwards, I remember Dave Aranda telling us he was disappointed because he, hey, what did we just talk about? He had to have a loss the week before to get that out of his team. He's talking about exactly what I just told you. I didn't script it this way. He's talking about exactly what I told you about the gym. They lost the week before. Something external happened. And that motivated them to play at a higher level the next week than they otherwise would have. And he said, I'm disappointed in that. Because if we needed an external factor to bring that out of us, instead of us just doing it in process fashion, then that means I don't have this team where I need to have them. He wasn't joking around. He was dead serious about it. He should be. Uh, this, this past year, some of the most iconic footage in iJosh history, the goalposts being taken out of Neyland, one of our fine college football citizens surfing on the goalpost as it heads to the river. Just an unbelievable time. Director Colin was with me. Director Colin was on site. And Director Colin's waited a long time to see that happen. You can't imagine what that night was like when Tennessee beat Bama. I mean, some of you who were at the game are teenagers. Some of you like have your learner's license. Some of you have your regular license and you don't have recollection of the last time Bama had gone down to Tennessee. So it was a huge deal. I told you there was... There were some folks who had to be treated for smoke inhalation, even though it was an outdoor venue. Some people had to be treated for it because there were so many people on the field. The cigar smoke was so thick. I'm not making this up. They had to have people cared for for smoke inhalation. Uh, what else do I remember? People pulled up big chunks of sod. Remember that, Colin? People pulled up chunks of sod from the field. You guys don't get to see what we get to see. I'm there two hours after it's over, and the field has been cleared you can't imagine the debris. So much random stuff on the field and so many random chunks of the field pulled up. So I remember that. Um, 
Oh, the Iron Bowl in 2017, Auburn and Alabama that was injured in Hare Stadium. And Malzahn, that was the year where Malzahn almost got fired. Then he beats Georgia. Then he beats Alabama. And they go to the SEC title game. And they storm the field that night in Jordan-Hare Stadium. And that's that's the one where I, I felt it was coming, immunity. And so I went up the tunnel and I got off the field. So I wasn't on the field for that. I exited the field. Cowardly. I don't do that anymore. But I did then. Uh, what was another one? There was one more. Oh, oh, yeah. How do I forget this one? Ohio State, Michigan. Last year, two years ago. I keep thinking we're still in 22. Two years ago. Where were we? Ann Arbor, Michigan. What was it? Snowing. And that was a little drought that came to an end, too. Michigan beats Ohio State, and buddy, they came on the field full force. And the snow just kind of added to the scene. And you got like Jawan Howard and, and Jim Harbaugh embracing Harbaugh as awkward as ever, but equally beautiful as ever. That was one kind of like this Tennessee game this last year. I know it, it bleeds through on TV, but if you're there, you feel just the raw emotion in person, and you're trying to soak it in because you know it doesn't matter if you cover the sport 50 years. You don't get many of those moments, and we were lucky enough to get a couple of them last year, a couple of them the year before, so field stormings, they're going to be less and less frequent because I think, I mean, let's be real now, a lot of these conferences are realizing it's a big danger. I'm, I'm surprised we still do it. I'm glad it happens in moderation. I don't think you should do it every week, but I'm, I'm glad it still happens in moderation. It is dangerous. There is risk that you have to associate and have to accept with it. I don't think that conferences are going to be willing to accept that risk much longer. Ironically, as they put players on the field for 16 or 17 games, that's the risk they want to mitigate. It's oh, such so hypocritical, but it is what it is there. So yeah, field stormings are crazy. You feel, you feel like you're in danger, and you are. But you also, you never feel more scared slash more alive when you're surrounded by like a 90,000 people clad in orange, puffing on cigars. Half of them never smoked before. Some of them are pulling up chunks of sod. The others are over there tearing down the goalpost, taking it out and throwing it in the river. I dare you to find me that on Sunday. You're not finding that on Sunday. That is Saturday special. That is Saturday night special. Knoxville, Tennessee, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Waco, Texas, Auburn, Alabama. That's college football probably be a YouTube short later. All right, let's roll merrily along. Good questions. A nice variety of questions. William asked if I can share a storm chasing story. Well, I got a lot of them. Someone else asked. We had a lot of storm chasing questions. Someone asked if I've ever seen a tornado in person. Have I seen one? I've seen seven. And a lot of my brethren out there who get to chase every week have seen far more than that. So I'm going to be out on the road again this spring. Zach and Frankie pinpoint. So, yeah, I, I could give you one. We, I've given you the one about Beauregard. That was a really, really big one. I can tell you, we were in West Point, Georgia, but we, we met in West Point. This was a few years ago. We met in West Point, but a lot of us set out from Auburn, Alabama that day, Opelika, Auburn, Alabama, and we go up I-85 to West Point because we've circled that as kind of being our battle zone. We think that's where the action is going to be. And lo and behold, tornado warning, Lee County, Alabama. That's where Auburn and Opelika is. EF2 tornado touches down in and around Auburn and Lee County. And we're having to watch it on live stream. Now, that's, that's not the bad part, although that's pretty bad. Yours truly was working in local news at the time. 
but I was just off. Bradley, were you with us this day? No, 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 no. Bradley, who works here now, was in the control room back at home base, WLTZ, the news station that we were working at in Columbus. So, so think about this. We're a very, very paper-thin operation. So Bradley's at the news station running master control. That's just where all the commercials get run. And it's basically, it's basically the engine room of the, of the station. It keeps everything afloat. So Bradley's in there shoveling his coal, running his commercials. Me and our meteorologist are out chasing because it's a Saturday. We're not on air on Saturdays. And then there's a tornado warning in our viewing market. Not only does the tornado touch down where we originally were that morning and left because we thought that there were greener pastures elsewhere. So not only are we missing the tornado, we are in LaGrange at this point now. And we are in a downpour and we're stopped by a freight train, which I'm normally very much in favor of, but not in this moment. And we have to go live on the air. All these things, I know it sounds like a lot's happening at once. So we're trying to speed back to Auburn. We have to go live on air because my meteorologist is driving. Bradley's back at the station. He's never queued up the weather screen before. It's not his job. He doesn't know how to do it. So Bradley has to get walked through. It's like uh, in Jurassic Park when, when the lady has to be walked through how to turn the power to the park back on. I mean, I've got my meteorologist walking Bradley step by step through how to basically run the weather format and run the weather center. And then he's on the phone doing a live hit. There's just a full weather map. If you were watching on TV, just a full weather map, tornado warning. And then I got my guy just downpour torrential rain. It's really loud in the car. And we're having to do all that, and we missed the tornado. And that was not the most fun experience of my life. We missed out on that one. And it was very picturesque. You can see it very, very well. It's very photogenic. Congratulations to everyone else that was there. Oh, by the way, we were coming back in town when we finally got there. <laughs> and the EMS folks, the emergency management folks, said, you might as well not even come in through Opelika. Um, Angels Antiques, which is like right off um, 431, for those of you, or 280, I think. For those of you who know that area, someone came over the EMS radio and said, Angel's Antiques is just gone. It's just, it's not there anymore. We were skeptical. So we pull up on Angel's Antiques, and I kid you not, there is a traffic cone in the parking lot that's blown over. Otherwise, Angel's Antiques has been touched by an angel because it's, it's untouched. It looks no different than it would on a sunny afternoon. So some fake news on the EMS scanner that night. All right, let's roll on. Storm chasing stories. Thomas asked, a good old-fashioned would you rather. Would you rather expand the playoff to 64 teams in honor of the late Mike Leach there? Would we ever expand to 64? Or would I rather have the number one AP team declared champion? You guys know how sadistic I am. So you know the direction I'm going on this. I'd rather have that format than what we have now. I'd rather have the AP format than what we have now. I'm willing to grant you that is a radical opinion. I'm willing to grant you that. If you're willing to grant me at least the understanding of why I feel that way. Now, I've explained it even in this very podcast. I've explained it. I just don't care as much about the postseason in college football. I wouldn't say it about any other sport. But in this sport, you give me those Saturdays in the fall and make sure that everything about the structure is built to maximize the importance of that Saturday, and I'm just, I'm fine. And I'm, I know that you are yelling at me right now, and you're saying, 
How could you let sports writers determine a champion? How could you let paper determine a champion? How, how could you risk a flawed champion and a flawed outcome? I'm not arguing against that risk. I've never argued against it. And you guys clearly know, if you've ever heard me talk about how the Heisman process is a joke, you know my opinion of a lot of those sports writers. So it's not that I entrust these people to make the right decision at all. I don't trust them to do that. I don't, I don't have the misguided notion that we wouldn't run the risk of having a farce of a national champion. I'm simply telling you, which most of you disagree with, I don't care as much about that. That's it. That's the long and short of it. And, and some of you can't grasp that opinion because you've never even considered what college football is without. Because you, you've lived in the playoff era and the championship era, and you've just never even considered what it could be without that. I'm not saying let's play it without it. I'm saying I play it with that as an afterthought and the main event being the regular season. And then, of course, there's the other crowd that says, but every other sport does it the other way. And I never argue with them because every other sport does do it the other way. And those sports are fine. It's just that I love this one being a different way. To each his and her own. And I'm clearly in the minority. That's why it's changing. So you don't have to worry about arguing with me on it. But as for the 64-team field, that's just gross. I mean, we don't even have to guess how that would go. We've got it right now. So imagine, imagine college basketball the way it is. And imagine college football up until about 1998. That's the way it was. We found out what it was like when the AP decided a champion. And we, we found out what it, what it means to have a 64-team playoff. And we're in the middle of March right now. So this is going to be the time of year. I'm going to go ahead and get you ready for it. Prepare yourselves ahead of time. You're going to have a bunch of folks who are desperate for clicks and who are desperate to be a content creator say, oh, look at this buzzer beater. This 12 just beat this five. How could you argue against this in college football? How could you argue that, a, that an expanded college football playoff won't be great? And then those of us who think like me will be just sitting there going, twiddle of thumbs. Are you done? Are you guys done? Okay, you're done. We've never said it won't be great. That's the answer. I've never said the college football playoff won't be exciting. Never said it. Just like March, just like April, NCAA tournament. It's never not been exciting. It's just that that's not the end of the conversation. That's not where the sport begins. If I grant you that, you have to answer me this. How much college basketball were you watching in November this year? How much college basketball did you make it a point to watch in January? If you're a diehard basketball fan, you're kind of exempt from this because you're not the norm. The answer for most of you is you didn't. And that's my point. A 64-team postseason field dictates that you and I don't have to watch the regular season unless we just want to, but there's no emphasis, there's no need for us to watch the regular season. In college football, there is a need. You don't understand the sport. You will not be provided accurate context of the sport if you do not make it an appointment to watch the regular season. You can do it in college basketball. So if you had a 64-team field in football, sure, you'd get exciting moments. At what cost? The cost would be September, October, November, and early December. And that's the lifeblood of the sport to me. That's the long and short of it. You, can't, you cannot take away the tree 
because you want more ornaments. You can't do that. You have to have the tree. There are some things you have to have. They are non-starters. They are non-negotiables. Much like this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Hunter asked us, out of all the head coaches in college football, who would you want to play in ping pong? And I was going to go with Harbaugh, but I got sold on Lane Kiffin. I'm playing one college football head coach in ping pong. It's Kiffin, by a mile. Because Lane Kiffin probably plays a lot like I play. He brings his own paddle. I guarantee you Kiffin rolls in with his own paddle. You can't tell me that he's never played ping pong before. I just think of the social settings that I frequently would find Lane Kiffin in. He's ponged a time or two. I think Lane Kiffin would be very petty. I think he would call you on illegal serves. He would call net, even at the slightest like whisper of a brush against the net. He'd call it. He would call you on the kind of technicalities, quite frankly, that I'm only used to management calling us on around here. I think Lane Kiffin would be really fun to play ping pong against. And the more I think about it, he may very well end up walking in our office and being the number one seed one day. He'd be kind of a wild card, but I tend to lean on the side that, that he's played a time or two, and he'd be really good. And he wouldn't trash talk. He'd be a little more cerebral, and he'd bottle it all up, and then when it's game point, and then he hit that final forehand, and he put you to sleep, you're never hearing the end of it. Be very active on Twitter about it. So again, I think Lane Kiffin would handle himself on the pong table a lot like I do. And that always makes for a good rivalry. So I'd like to play Lane Kiffin. Open invitation. Got several months until the season starts. So open invitation there. Connor Wagner next up. Connor asking us, do coaches blow smoke with the every spot is an open competition talk from Tomball, Texas? Yes, they do, Connor. Yes, they do. That's happening right now at the University of Texas. Sure, it is in Steve Sarkeesian's best interest to say that you're bringing in Arch Manning, and he's going to compete for the quarterback job in the spring with Quinn Ewers. Yes, certainly that's what he has said, and that's what they're going to try and sell you on. But I've also talked to people at Texas, and those people at Texas tell me the expectation there is for Arch Manning to be redshirted his true freshman year. The expectation there is for Quinn Ewers to win that job. Now, here's what you can't do. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not knocking Sark. You can't say that. You can't walk up to Arch Manning and say, we recruited you because we think you're supremely talented. But in the very next sentence, I'm going to say, you have no shot of being good enough this year. So here, go work on the side field. Go, go with Farmer Friend. Go run some laps in practice. You can't do that. 
You've got to foster competition. The last thing you want from an underachieving team or any team, period, is for anyone to feel like their job is secured or their job is a given. That's the same as it would be for your right guard. So I know some positions are more obvious than others, but yeah, coaches do have to sell this. And yeah, sometimes they're blowing smoke. And, and sure, I think Steve Sarkeesian understands in his heart of hearts, there's a greater than 90% chance Quinn Ewers is his starting quarterback. But you see, it rains several times a year when there's only a 10% chance. So if those are the numbers, what do you do? You say, hey, there's a slight chance of rain. Or in this case, you say, we're going to have a quarterback competition. Not controversy. We don't ever use that vernacular here. It's a competition. There's a quarterback competition going on at Texas. I think it's going to be won by Quinn Ewers, but that doesn't matter. Here's the other thing that I don't necessarily think they're running the risk of at Texas, but in the spirit of the general question, some of your coaches are going to tell you this spring that there are quarterback battles or there are outside linebacker depth battles going on when there really aren't because it's obvious they're trying to keep their players out of the portal. They can't let those players know that certain guys are all but locked into starting spots. They have to at least manufacture the illusion of competition to, number one, maintain the high level of practice they need and preparation they need, and number two, so they can keep as many of their players as they can. That's pretty much a no-brainer, and I don't think any of us would run our teams any differently. I'm sure that I'm running Pate State that way. So yeah, that's, that's a norm now. In the transfer portal era, that's a norm. That's going to happen every spring. Uh, let's go next up here. This one's in the Wayback Machine. How about this? Dan asked, would Ron Meyer have been a great coach if not for the scandal at SMU from Dacula, Georgia? Some people down there pronounce it Dacula. I was, I was always a Dacula guy. I've played baseball in Dacula before. Ron Meyer, how many of you know who that is? No relation to Urban that I'm aware of. We can do research on that. But um, how many of you are aware? Now, those of you who are older are going to know who Ron Meyer is. Those of you who are younger but are 30 for 30 junkies are also going to know who Ron Meyer is. The first thing you need to know is if you have not already watched Pony Excess, which is the greatest 30 for 30, in my opinion, that ESPN ever produced, watch it yesterday. Stop what you're doing, unless you're in class or driving. Stop what you're doing and go watch Pony Excess. It's like two hours long, and it gives you the comprehensive, very colorful history of the SMU scandal back in the 80s. And it just dawned on me that a lot of you are going to watch it and say, why are they getting the death penalty for doing what every school now does legally? That's part of what makes it beautiful slash terrifying. So SMU rises to power under Ron Meyer. They were, they were sort of an also-ran in the Southwest Conference, which will be point two when I'm college football commissioner on my to-do list, bring back the Southwest Conference. So they're in the Southwest Conference. It's all the Texas schools and Arkansas. Even Rice had a seat at the table. Today, Rice is on the table because of their food. Back then, Rice was at the table because they were in the Southwest Conference. And so SMU was nothing special in the Southwest Conference, and they're in the middle of Dallas. Well, then all of a sudden, Ron Meyer comes in, and they say, well, if we're going to cheat, then game on. And these are all just quotes at this point from the 30 for 30. I've seen that thing more than I've seen a lot of my favorite movies. And so Ron Meyer 
goes on like a one-man barnstorming tour, as they say. He said, we're going we're gonna to win in Dallas, we're going to win in Houston, and we're going to win in East Texas. We're going to dominate Houston, he said, in recruiting. Don't ask me how, but we're going to dominate Houston. Well, they did. And they were doing it because they were dropping sacks of cash left and right. I mean, Eric Dickerson is all set to sign with Texas A&M because they gave him a Trans Am, or as they called it, the Trans A&M. And SMU still lands him anyway. How in the world they do that? Well, they paid him a lot of money. That's how. And they loaded up a team, and they're one of the best teams in the country. And Ron Meyer is the cowboy. He's the face of it all. And then Ron Meyer leaves to go to the Patriots, I think. And as Skip Bayless said in the doc, Ron Meyer made a tactical decision to exit stage left before the stuff hit the fan. Well, the question is, would he have still been a legend? Would he have been a great coach at SMU without the scandal? I don't think the answer is yes. Because by the very definition of what became legendary about SMU, it took cheating and getting caught. The governor of Texas was involved, by the way. We're talking about the governor. All of these quotes you're going to hear when you watch the 30 for 30. I don't know that Ron Meyer would have risen to the nearly the stature that he did once they had the full cooperation, financial investment and otherwise, at SMU. I don't know that he would have been. I know that I don't really care why he's a legend, just that he is a legend. And emphatically, for the third and final time, I'm going to tell you, because he is on record in this documentary. They have him sit down for interviews. Musburgers in that thing. A ton of... Vern Lundquist? Uncle Vern is in it. Keith Jackson. I think... No, he was in the, he was in the uh, USFL one. But a lot of big names that you would recognize are in that 30 for 30. So Ron Meyer, I don't know that he would have been remembered as a legend. Other than for the reasons that SMU came to prominence. And then they hired Bobby Collins from Southern Miss. Bless his heart. You'll just, have to, you'll just have to listen to Craig James narrate that in the documentary. All right, uh, let's, let's answer this one here. What would you recommend for someone trying to start a podcast as a first step? Few things. I can't just give you one of these. Few things. Number one, decide what you have a passion for. Decide whether you have the talent to do it. Decide where those two things overlap. Decide why anyone should care about what you have to say. I know that sounds rude, but that's my advice. And decide whether you do have something to say. Now, if you're looking to do this as a hobby, the latter portion of what I said doesn't matter. You're doing it to have fun, you do it to have fun. But if you're doing it and you're trying to scale something, monetize something, grow something into a living, breathing, profitable product, people have to care what you have to say. And in the sports world, that's hard to do. In fact, in any world. That's hard to do. There's never been more noise out there than there is now. You're asking someone to take their time, be quiet, and listen to what you have to say. That's hard to do. I am thankful every day you guys are doing it with me right now. So that's, that's the first few steps. And then the next thing you would do is very simple, triple Venn diagram. And you need to know what you're good at, what your competition is good at, and what the audience wants. And then you look at the overlap areas. And then you format your content accordingly. The middle is the most competitive, but also a very, very prime spot. You've got where you overlap with the audience. That's where you're going to want to spend a majority of your time because that is what you're giving them that no one else can give them for whatever reason. There's going to be where your competition overlaps with the audience. Stay away from that. 
They're better than you. It's a waste of time. The audience knows to go to them. And then there's the place where you and your competition overlap, but the audience couldn't care less. And frankly, that's a lot of the NIL conversation right now. A lot of folks in our industry spend an inordinate amount of oxygen talking about NIL from certain angles, and you don't care because the numbers tell me you don't care. Now, what we've done on this show is I've talked about NIL in a little bit different fashion, and guess what? You've told me you do care through your viewership, but what I'm not doing and never will do is cover NIL from the vantage point of so-and-so got this many dollars, so-and-so got that many dollars. That's not it because that doesn't impact you. I'm covering it from the vantage point of what impacts you. What do you care about? And fortunately for me, you and I kind of share the same opinion on NIL. So I already know what you want to hear because you want to hear the same things I want to hear. So we don't really waste a lot of time in NIL. Those are a few of the pieces of advice. Then you need to learn, obviously. You need to learn SEO, search engine optimization. You need to be able to understand how to title things format things. You need to really, really be a shrewd manager of time. Don't be filling stuff just to hit an hour. Make sure there's a lot, a lot of fruit on that tree. Make sure there's a lot of juice that comes out of that squeeze. You got to give people a return on their time investment is what I'm telling you. That's why I'm not going to go any further this morning. I appreciate you guys listening. If you want to submit questions, the best thing that you can do is wait until I give you the call on Mondays or early on Tuesdays and then submit. And it'll be either be on Twitter, at LateKickJosh, or Instagram, at LateKickJosh. In the meantime, here's what's happening. A borderline fight-to-the-death ping-pong battle, a tournament, a tournament, as producer Jesse would incorrectly say, is at hand in the 24-7 office. And I got screwed already. I haven't even played yet. But they screwed me already. No immunity. It is what it is. I went out of town. They formatted it. They seeded it. I had no say-so. They gave me a terrible draw. The tiebreaker to determine seeding, by the way, is victory margin, which is insanity. We're not round-robining and then seeding. We're not doing that. That would be fair. So we're not doing that. So anyway, I, I need your help. I need your support. And if you're following on Instagram, at Josh, there is a chance that some of these may be live-streamed. I'm not advertising it, except I'm telling you right now, just stay tuned. A lot of you asked about that, so stay tuned. So, with your prayers as the wind in my sails, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, for Bradley's in there with his hand on the joystick too, I'm told. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, and I will keep you updated as updates present themselves. God bless. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.